you need this, you need this skill, this tool, this software, this, 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 this. Welcome to the Million Dollar Landscaper Podcast. We're your hosts, Scott and Katie Mulchan, and we make it easy to start working on, not just in your landscaping business. We're a real couple that helped grow our family business to well over a million dollars in revenue. And now we help other landscaping business owners just like you to do the same. Are you ready to build your business? Let's get started. Having the right mindset is so important, especially when you're first starting off in your landscaping journey. You know, we get thinking that we're just not good enough. We don't know what we're doing. We start having that imposter syndrome. And today's guest, which we're excited to have on, Keith Kalthus, as he shares some of the experiences he had in his own journey. And he's also going to share some very amazing deep thoughts on how to overcome some of those types of things. So you do not want to miss today's episode. Quick word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Busy Busy. Busy Busy is so simple to use, and it's the most reliable GPS time tracking app on the market. And the best part is, it was built for landscapers. Busy Busy's founder created Busy Busy because he owns multiple construction companies and needed to understand better which projects were making him money and which projects were killing him. Payroll is the highest variable cost in the project, so you better be tracking it. Busy Busy does this better than anyone else. So download Busy Busy today, and don't forget to mention the Million Dollar Landscaper podcast to get three free months. We want to take a quick second to tell you about our friends over at Cycle CPA. I can't even express to you how important it is to have a good accountant on your side. You know you want accurate bookkeeping and financial statements every month. Instead, you're often left with limited time to focus on the accounting side of your business and no reports to show for it. At Cycle CPA, the landscaping accountants, they not only handle the bookkeeping, but also provide landscape industry benchmarking, job costing, financials by service line, advisory meetings, and much more. Cycle CPA has a team of landscaping accountants available to provide anything from bookkeeping to CFO services. Visit CycleCPA.com and for $100 off, mention the Million Dollar Landscaper podcast. If you want to get the leads you want and turn your current clients into raving fans, then you need to try SendGym. They've created an exclusive offer just for our listeners. If you sign up today, you can get your first month for just $2. So if you haven't already, go to sendjim.io forward slash MDL, where you can get even more exclusive deals just for Million Dollar Landscaper podcast listeners. That's sendjim.io forward slash MDL and take advantage of these awesome deals today. Welcome back to the Million Dollar Landscaper Podcast. Today, we are excited to have on a very special guest. He has inspired tens of thousands of people to transition from going from the nine to five to financial freedom in their own businesses. He's a YouTube star, a published author, a speaker. So let's give it up to our own very own Keith Kalfas. Thanks, for Keith, for being on the show today. What's going on, Scott? Thanks for having me on. What's up, everybody? Yeah, excited to have you on here today. Keith, you've come from an a interesting background. I was reading a little bit earlier about you. You mind sharing your story of how you got started in the landscape business and how you got motivated to get moving on it? Yeah, thanks. You know, actually, uh, I started cutting lawns by push mowing lawns. My, my my father, when I was a kid, I was like nine years old. 
he had a little tiny lawn care business and he'd be like, Hey, come with me and I'll pay you four bucks a lawn cash. <laughs> and then I got good at it and he gave me five bucks a lawn and I would go with him to make extra money cutting grass. And aside from that, by the time I hit 17, I wanted to start a business with him and he didn't really want to do that. So I found a job because I was broke. I couldn't even afford any equipment or anything. So I bounced around between working at a bunch of different restaurants. I've, I've had like 34 jobs. I've wow. been fired from more jobs, probably 20 of them I've been fired from. And the <laughs> only one, I kept going back to landscaping because I would get horrible anxiety and I have ADD really bad and I couldn't work indoors in enclosed or confined spaces. I've tried the factory thing. I, I'm from Michigan and my uncles and people to, oh, you got to get a job at the big three for GM Chrysler. Back in the day, it was like, it didn't matter if you hated what you did or if it was an assembly line or if you were reduced down to your utility value. If you made decent money and got benefits, you were a good man. And that stuff never sat well with me and it drove me insane and made me very rebellious. But I loved landscaping because I love working outside. So I bounced around at a bunch of different landscape companies, became like a, a foreman and, you know, where you're just basically crew leader. And, um, been through hell with all that, but learned a lot. And by the time I was 27 is when I met my wife and my life was falling apart because I, I only made enough money in the landscape jobs just to pay the bills. So every time something happened that was an extra expense that I couldn't afford, literally just went into the debt pile. By the time I was 27, all that had mounted to the point where I ended up, uh, I was broke. <laughs> I lost my job. Uh, another story. I, uh, <laughs> I, won't, I won't get too deep into that. But anyways, I uh, was living on a dream and I got in a car accident with no car insurance. And in Michigan, even though it's a no-fault state, I got sued by a major insurance company for like 20 grand. And now I uh, got no driver's license, no car, no money. Now I'm homeless at 27 in debt. Debt collector's calling me, yet I had met my bride, my wife, and it totally changed my life. And I was like, I literally cannot let my life go down the drain because I did all the math. I said, I will literally be riding a bike again with no driver's license. I did the math. It would take me 10 years to pay it off. And I would be a 37-year-old man just getting his driver's license back, still working for other people for 12 bucks an hour. I said, this is impossible. I called these attorneys up, the people that sued me, and I was like, I, I have to please put me on a payment arrangement. I was terrified, traumatized, man. So they said, okay, if you miss a single payment, you owe everything in full and you're, you'll never get your driver's license back. hundred hour weeks, man. I threw away everything in my life that wasn't work. I was literally so skinny from working. Con I, mean, I didn't even care. I didn't care if I showered. <laughs> it just, it was a hundred hours a week of landscaping during the day, full-time jobs. And then my landscape business at night. So thinking I need a bunch of money to start a landscape business, I learned was actually an excuse because when your back's against the wall and you go through the dark night of the soul, I was side job Keith. I started out of the trunk of my wife's car. We we're fighting like crazy because I was taking her car as soon as I got off work with like paper bags from Lowe's. And I got a, a pair of shrub trimmers from Home Depot for like 60 electric ones that you plug in. And I was posting ads on Craigslist constantly. People started calling. So I was going out at night and on the weekends, literally till I couldn't see even with flashlights, no backpack blower. I was using a broom to clean up people's properties in a 165 here, 300 here, 200 there, 400 there. Within, within six weeks, I made enough. I woke up on a Saturday morning and this gut feeling came through me. It's like, this is time to quit your full-time job. So it's like, and I, I was crunching the numbers at night too. And even the money I was making then was not enough money to pay off these debts and these attorneys. And so I was uh, being dangled over a crocodile pit or over Satan's lair. Imagine Satan's mouth being like a big, like, beast with razor sharp teeth and you're being dangled like a puppet. Like I, dude, I was so scared. I was shaking. 
And the math told me that if I didn't quit the job and go full-time landscaping, I didn't stand a chance. So it was like, you ever see those movies where like Indiana Jones, he's running and the ground is falling behind him as he's running, like each step. I literally let my life get to that point. And I've seen people who didn't run and what happened in their lives. And I watch, you know, 30, 40, 50 year old men still living in very, uh, not good circumstances because they didn't face their fears. So I felt like I didn't have a choice, man. And I'd be letting her down. So within six weeks, I woke up one morning. It was like, quit your job. I was like, what? This feeling, maybe a few times in your life, these epiphanies come through you. Like uh, my friend Joshua Latimer says, an entrepreneur jumps off a cliff and builds a plane on the way down. So the feeling was like, today's the day you quit your job. I'm like, what? It's Saturday. I got to be to work in 30 minutes. But I just knew it, man. I knew it. So I called up the company I'd work for. I mean, imagine me already 10 years, 12 years of experience landscaping, driving trucks and trailers, running crews of guys from from two to three to five, sometimes 10 guys, fully experienced, running around with a fucking weed whip for $9.50 an hour living in a one bedroom apartment at 27. Like I was so ashamed of myself, but I didn't have time to be ashamed of myself anymore. Now it was about pure courage. And I started looking around almost like pure paranoia. And I was looking at everything that didn't make me money and make me succeed was a threat to my existence. You know, guys sometimes will stand around and just kind of bullshit and talk about the sports game. That was a threat to me. (laughs) So I was running like my hair was on fire. And basically I went out that Saturday and I did a job for like 350 bucks. I don't know what the profit margin was. It was pretty high because I was just chucking a truck, no insurance, no nothing. And then I went out every single day and I knew as long as my hand was on the wheel of that. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't tell you about the truck. I dumped out change and basically used my rent money and borrowed some money from my wife to get this truck called the Blue Goose. 650 bucks on Craigslist, a 91 Dodge Dakota covered in rust, 300,000 miles. And the thing ran like it actually ran. So (laughs) by the the time the next year came and I'm in that truck with the cracked windshield, there was a moment. It was fall. It was like three months into my business. I was driving to a job site on a Saturday or Sunday morning. I would go anywhere for a job. It didn't matter. It was trim all the bushes, pull the weeds, lay down mulch. And as I was on my way to this job site, it hit me like a ton of bricks that I literally hadn't had a job for three months now. In my life, you couldn't not have a job or you were going to be homeless. But I was my own boss and I was driving in that piece of shit blue goose truck with the crack in the windshield. And all I could hear was just the muffler and the truck and me. And the sun, like as the sun was coming up and it shined through the windshield, like right along the crack in the glass, the sun hit me and it like warmed my face. And I just literally broke down crying, sobbing, because I was so proud of myself. And I couldn't believe that I had done it. And I thought about all the guys that I had worked with that were still at those landscape companies. When I looked at them and I said, I'm going to get the hell out of here. And it was like a joke. They didn't believe me. I was fucking free, man. I was free and nobody could take that shit from me. And I had tasted freedom. And so, so there's this thing that hits you when you start your own business, because like, if you're good at construction or drywall or whatever the trade you do, and you go work for a company, I'm only going to work for a company when you're an employee and you've been an employee for a while, there's nothing wrong with this. You're like, but you got your shit together as an employee. And you're like, I'm only going to work with a company that has their shit together and it's got nice trucks and they're organized and they give me the tools that I need to do my job. And, I, and I'm only going to work if I make this much per hour and get benefits because I'm the shit. 
I could leave this job and get a job at any, I could walk right into that place and be a foreman. Like these stupid thoughts. Take that same guy who thinks he's the shit as an employee. And I'm not trying to demonize anybody, but take him and throw his ass out by himself with no money, no tools, nothing in a piece of shit little truck and say, okay, go start your own business now if you think you're so. And watch that guy just piss his pants with his tail between his legs when he doesn't know how to quote. He doesn't understand his numbers. He's scared because he can't afford taxes. He doesn't have any workers' comp or payroll or insurance or any of that shit. Like, he's just him now against the world. And It's a different mindset between those two types of people, though. It's some William Wallace type shit, bro. Yeah, yeah. I'm obsessed with that. And I think a guy who's in that stage, it's called stage one business, where he is chucking a truck. I don't know how fast he can ascend through those stages, but if he wants to move to stage two and stage three, which is like a business where he's out of the field and he's got several employees working and an office manager and a bookkeeper and, you know, like everything is like a fully licensed, insured, established company with hundreds of clients and predictable cash flow. If he wants to get there quicker, he can get around other entrepreneurs that are already doing that and then they'll rub off on him. But if he's just getting started, I don't think he should even be thinking about that stuff because I, I think that there's like a solid year. I may be wrong. For me, I, I'm a super late bloomer, right? but like I just needed literally like two to three years of hustling and grinding being a chuck in a truck and building my confidence and learning how to talk to customers, almost like recuperating from the trauma. There's something so beautiful about being out there by yourself. And then when you get your first employee, and you guys are out there work until dark and shit. And then the first employee's like, bro, uh, I got to go. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? It's only 8.30 p.m. What are you talking about? <laughs> so, dude, I was fucking, I had to have uh, two guys come in and work till like 6 o'clock. And then when they would leave, I'd have a guy who, who was getting off work or who could work evenings. And he would come at 6 o'clock and work with me till dark. Because I wasn't coming home until it was dark seven days a week. And dude, my wife was screaming at me. She thought I was <laughs> cheating on her. And I was like, yeah, I'm fucking cheating on you with, with covered in dirt and sweat coming home at 10. <laughs> like she, it, it was here and say I was never home and it didn't matter because I would say things to her. She, we'd, I'd be driving in the Blue Goose 930 at night. Dinner's cold on the table. She ate by herself. And I was an asshole. She would say to me like, when are you coming home? You mother. Uh, and I would say, listen, if this truck breaks down, we are totally fucking screwed. Don't you understand that? Now, when you got a hundred grand in the bank, those thoughts don't even make sense. You're like, why, why would you even think that? What do you mean if the truck breaks down? Like I could go to the dealership and buy one cash. But when, when you only have, you know, $1,200 in the bank or something like that, and this is your operating expenses and you have an eviction notice, which like that. I'm not going to stay on this topic too long. I just want to close this loop. I would say things to her like, if this truck breaks down, we're screwed. And that was the truth. If that truck, if the motor blew up, we literally would be homeless. So people that are like very, very stage one and they're broke and they're robbing Peter to pay Paul and living check to check. That is the most costly, expensive, stressful place that you can live in your life. It's too painful. Tony Robbins once said he has a very low tolerance to pain. He couldn't handle being poor. He was poor for a short period of time. It was so painful. He's like, I'll do anything to get the hell out of this. It's fascinating to me how some people uh, can live. Uh, if they have a mental illness or they're unstable or they're physically disabled, I totally understand that. But if you're like just stuck in your excuses, God, you have a lot of tolerance to pain to stay struggling like that. And it was torture to me, man. And I felt like a piece of shit every day I came home to my fiance and I had a wedding to pay for. So I did it. I just work constantly. And I think that anybody can do it. Just go work yourself to death for a few years and 
I just talked for so long, man. I just, whenever I get about this, I get on a roll. <laughs> no, it's, it's, that's an awesome story to come from that. And that's actually what I love about this industry is that you can, it's easy to kind of get started. I shouldn't say it's easy, but it's easy to get into it. Not easy to do all of it, but it, it's easy to get into it. It's a low level of income that you can get started. Like you said, you got started with a $60 pair of, of electric head trimmers. You can go to Craigslist and buy a used mower for, you know, whatever, 25 bucks and get going on things. But you can do it and you can hear your living success right story right there for it. So that's awesome. I applaud you for that. There's so many things you can take from your story there and, and you can get over that hump and, and get moving on it, but you do have to go through some sacrifices. Like we've, we've all done it. My wife and I've had, had a serious talk because I was doing the same thing. I'd work and work and work and, you know, I'd work all day and then go do the estimates and go back out. And yeah, my wife had to have a serious talk with me. Otherwise, <laughs> who knows where we'd be if, you'd, if we didn't talk, but it's one of those things that I think I agree. A lot of us have to go through and, and kind of go through those battles. I know my dad, my dad started our business, but I used to see my mom and dad fight and argue and, and things were tough here and there. And, but it's all relatable. And many of us can really relate to that, I think, in this industry, which is really cool. That uh, I made just enough money with the Blue Goose that when it blew up and was towed away and went to the junkyard, I had just enough money to go buy a $1,300 Dodge Dakota. And then I drove that thing and saved up just enough money to buy a 98 F-150. And then the Dakota broke down. And then I drove the F-150 and I kept saving and made just enough money to get this 06 F-150. And then the motor blew up on the F-150. <laughs> so I was running with the cement falling behind me. And then I remember the day that the F-150 blew up and it was so stressful constantly at the mechanic and being stranded on the side of the road, paying employees, watching my truck get towed off again and just working to fix shit. I actually met a guy one time who was a landscaper. This guy had like a million dollar company at 23 years old or something. And he had, he was just, he was brilliant. He got on the phone with me one time. He lives in Michigan. He's like, bro, why are you making all these videos talking about how you started a landscape? Is there something wrong with you? Do you have a mental illness? Have you ever been diagnosed with a mental illness? <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? Why would you do that? Like, I'm already making, doing a million dollars. And I was like, dude, I want to help people. Like what, what I went through, I, there's guys that think like me and it's like, at some point, I actually think because I'm not a multimillionaire already and I don't have a, you know, a $10 million company and tons of real estate, I must have a fucking mental illness because I question myself. Like, how do I not already have 2 million subscribers on YouTube? Tons of real estate. Like, I'm so fucking hard on myself. But I remember the day that last truck blew up and my wife is like, you just need to buy a brand new truck. I felt like I didn't deserve it. I wasn't worthy of it. And there was no way, like, I couldn't do it. But I broke down and I went to the dealership and got a brand new truck. Actually, I think I leased it. So the F-150 that I had, they had, you know, 200,000, 250,000 miles on it. When the head gasket blew, I remember I was just about to go to the dealership to get the brand new truck. And I was like, no, fuck that. I'm not getting a new truck. I'm going to fix this old truck. I'm going to fix it. I can fix it. I can fix it. I don't care what it costs. As soon as I had that thought, the, for some reason, the back tire just went flat and now it had a blown motor and a flat tire it was like which is like no you're not it's over you have to let it go <laughs> and i opened the seat of the truck and i started cleaning it out it was like in some random parking lot and as i was cleaning out the truck i thought about how that truck had gotten me through so many hard times i thought how that truck had paid my rent i thought that how that truck had put food on the table and how that truck was like you know like they say a dog is your best friend or in the in the western movies they a man they put the horse down if it breaks a leg i don't understand that but <laughs> like I felt like I was putting my dog down that I loved, who was my best friend. And I just fucking started bawling my eyes out and hugging the seat. And I was holding the seat, crying so fucking hard 
as the tow truck was pulling up to take my truck away for the last time. And then I realized what it means to be a solopreneur, how every shovel you buy from a garage sale, every tool, it's not just a tool, it's more than a tool. It's the tools that feed your family. It's so powerful. And then three hours later, it was raining and I was driving home in a brand new truck with plastic still on the seats. I felt so unworthy and I was felt embarrassed and I was like when I when I was doing quotes, I was parking down the street. So I thought customers would think I'm trying to rip them off. I, when I family members and friends, I thought that my friends would think that I thought it was too good or something. Like I, it was a lot to unpack to realize how unworthy I felt and wasn't even aware of how deeply seated these subconscious self limiting beliefs were controlling my entire life, mm-hmm. and how poor I had grown up was coming to surface in ways that I wasn't even aware of. And Joshua Latimer again, <laughs> I tell him, he's a, he's a good friend of mine. I told him this. He goes, what? So you don't think you're worthy enough to have a nice truck? He's like, how old are you? You work your ass off. You have a business. It's not even a big deal. He's like, I just bought a brand new truck cash the other day. It's, it's like, you deserve it. I was like, oh yeah, I do. And it's like, I did a lot of uh, work on unconscious belief patterns. I got a lot of what's called quantum coaching and dove really deep into personal development and hit, yeah, hypnotherapy. And spent like four or five years on this shit, digging into worthiness stuff like that. Because I had never made more than a couple thousand in a month, and then I made ten grand in a month, and I did twenty thousand a month, then thirty thousand, then forty thousand, then fifty thousand, and I finally hit like sixty thousand in the month. That I think last in July I must have done. I think I did sixty-five thousand in a month in revenue, but overall between both businesses and total sales. This has not hit my bank. It was like 130,000 in sales that I had done. And um, now it's the it's a reciprocal. The pendulum has shifted the other way. I'm 39 now, and it's taken me so many years to finally figure out and get uh, a handle on this worthiness thing that I feel so far behind, and I'm just beating myself up every day. I, I mean, I'm, I'm putting myself through hell. I mean, I'm literally trying to save up to invest in our Airbnb. I got all these businesses idea. I got two businesses and they're six figure businesses. And I have, I don't know, I had up to 20, but I have 14 different people working for me right now. And I guess I'm, I'm successful and I, you know, I I got money in the bank and food in the fridge and I'm buying fucking stocks and bonds and gold and silver and all that bullshit. And like, but it's peanuts. It's not enough. Like I'm the brokest friend. All my friends have literally seven and eight figure businesses. They're fucking millionaires. Every single one of them. And every time I talk to them, they're like, what are you doing? What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> like, how do, how are you not a millionaire already? It's like, so it's like, I'm up all night in anxiety, tossing and turning and just like, and I, I believe in Jesus Christ and, I, and the Holy Spirit. I, 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 you can consider me a Christian and I believe that you can't take anything with you when you die. But I just believe it's not okay to not be successful. It's not okay to eventually to not get your dream home and have the vacation home and dream and take your family and, and be able to, if you have a loved one who becomes disabled to not take care of them, it's not okay. And I know that it's not okay. And it's eating me alive because I know that I'm trying every fucking thing I can every second to fix it. And I will, that's all I'm going to do. I, I don't even hang out with anybody. I don't, I don't, I don't fucking even hang out with my friends and my friends think sometimes come up like they think I'm a selfish prick and I'm going to end up alone one day because I won't do anything unless it equals productivity and to hang out with another human being. If we're not doing something productive, it's fucking torture to me. I'm, I'm having a panic attack and it's, I call me a selfish prick or I, I, I can't, I feel like it's not okay to be mediocre. 
and it's eating me alive. And sorry, I'm like going off here. Well, but- it's, to me, it's like <laughs> refers back to how you mentioned the Tony Robbins thing. It's kind of you don't want to go back to that point where you're at in your life. So it's it's having to come through those mental blocks to get to that. So that's awesome. And again, it goes back to, I'm sure many, many people out there in the landscape industry can relate to that type of thing. They just keep hustling and keep hustling and keep doing what they got to do. But it took you to the point where you started studying those things and learning how to overcome those habits and stuff, right? To kind of somewhat start getting past those mental blocks. Yeah, very much so. Uh, A lot of times we don't see how far we've come. Paying attention to your self-talk. If you catch yourself saying like, God, I'm an idiot. Don't say that because your subconscious will find a way like, or it's because I'm stupid or be very careful how you talk to yourself. And another thing is uh, if you're the type of person, you might be a, a really nice guy and they say nice guys finish last and you let your employees walk all over you. You let clients walk all over you all the time. You don't know the difference between emotions and contracts. Like if you're in a very emotional person and you're failing to put structures and systems and policies into your business because of the way things feel and you can't get around to it, you're just never going to get any traction so I had to learn that I was uh, I had like what you call a feminized shell and consciousness, which is like I was afraid to be more of a masculine man. Not not like like raw my way or the highway. But what I mean is being present and calm and centered and be the observing container who puts systems, policies and structures like. But then I learned that you can lean so far into masculinity and being structured that you wake up one day and you're fucking miserable because you have no creativity left. You don't get inspired anymore. And everything is about the bottom line and the dollar. I I used to be a a guy who was very impulsive and I get an idea to make a YouTube video and I would just run off and spend the day making a video. Obviously I ran my business. I'd be flying the drone. Oh my God, I had this idea. We could do the camera angle like this. And I'd stay up all night making the video. And I was like, that was the happiest I've, I've ever been is doing crazy shit like that. But like, where does that lead Where's the junction? Where's the point that, where does, where's that going to land me in five years? It's like, so it, it gets to the point where doing things that make you happy have no value anymore because you can't put a price because what say you can't put a price on happiness. So I think that the pendulum goes back and forth and you move back and forth between structure and creativity, structure and creativity. And I think we drive ourselves insane trying to do it all and trying to have it all. Well, so let me let me step back here. So, do you have any yeah. tips for people that are, you know, they're, they're they're just starting out in their business and they're you know they're just stuck with doing what they're doing and they're not getting ahead? Do you have any tips or any advice uh, that you would give to somebody? Yeah, I think that the reason you're doing what you're doing, you're not getting ahead, is because uh, one is worthiness. There's this moment when people finally say "fuck it" and they throw in the towel and they quit fighting, they quit struggling. And they just let go. There's a famous author named Barbara DeAngelis. And I've read four, I'm on my 477th book right now. You can get audible.com and just constantly yeah. absorbing. So she's like a famous author and speaker and travels all over the place and has wrote all these self-help books. And she's not one of my favorite authors, but she did say something one time. She goes, she was on the go, 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 go all the time, hustling for years on end and became astronomically successful. And it still wasn't enough. And this voice came to her at the peak of her insanity. And she goes, Sometimes the best thing you could do is just to do nothing and be nobody for a while, for a season. So if you feel that way, just let go and just go to work. Stop trying to be so fucking successful. Stop trying to make your dad proud of you and do all these things that you feel that make you feel complete and just let go of all that shit and be okay with being a fucking nobody. Just be nobody. I know this sounds insane. <sighs> and just... Take an I don't care 
pill. I don't smoke weed or anything, but it's like I can just <laughs> and then give yourself a few weeks or a season or a few months where you just go to work. You just don't care. I, I don't know how to explain it because it sounds like a, like I would never do that. But I think in the point where you throw in the towel and you don't care anymore, it creates this vacuum where it's like you release all the negative energy and then that's where all the abundance and everything you want in the next level just boom, it just shows up into your life automatically because you've given up struggling. And the next thing is if you get around, I said in the beginning, get around really successful people and that can help you get there faster. But if that's not part of your evolutionary journey, if uh, you know, growing two crews and three crews and four crews and five crews and getting to luxury outdoor living spaces and buying a freaking skid steer and more and more and more, which is great. There's people who do all types of stuff. My friend Greg Whitstock, he built a, a, a pond at freaking Shaq's house and it's yeah. you can see it. It's like the biggest video on his channel. It's amazing, right? But sometimes the advice of really successful entrepreneurs in your space, they must know what they're talking about. He has a $2 million company. Can be the most worst fucking advice for you ever for where you're at right now because you're looking up, oh, I need to do what he's doing. But he's actually playing a different game than you are. He's playing a totally different game. But from what your lens, you're looking at him, you think you know what he's doing, even if he's giving you advice and you think you know, but you don't know. It's like a different game. And I think that if you try to shortcut through the stages, you're building a house of cards, or you're building a house made out of straw instead of brick. So if there's very invaluable lessons that you need to learn right now that you haven't worked through and you're frustrated, it's because you haven't solidified and turned that lesson into solid brick foundation that you won't slip back from that ever again. Mm -hmm. There's certain corners you may be cutting, certain things you're not paying attention to, certain lessons you're too stubborn to learn. And Chinese proverb lesson is repeated until a lesson is learned. You'll never get off that stage and get to the next step until you've learned this lesson. If you somehow do make it and you keep like circumventing, avoiding or sticking on certain issues, they're going to come back when your business is bigger and they're going to eat you because you didn't fix it when it was small. Mm -hmm. And some people thrive on that. If you're like growing internally and externally at the same time and these issues are coming up and you're forced to solve them or like a fire will break out. Maybe some people only thrive under tons of pressure. I have a friend who built two $5 million businesses by keeping himself under constant pressure. And I look at his life and I can really honestly say I wouldn't be able to sleep at night <laughs> dealing with the amount of pressure, but he loves that place. And I thought I could handle pressure. I mean, he's at a totally different level. So some people weren't meant to be entrepreneurs. Some people maybe just hate working for other people and they have to work for themselves because they just can't stand working for other people, but they never even really wanted to own a business. They just wanted to be out of pain and suffering. So there's different angles that you can look at things. And I think if you can realize that, read the books uh, by Gino Wickman. Gino Wickman has three books, Traction, Rocket Fuel, and Get a Grip. If you listen to all three of those on audible.com, I think they will bring a lot of uh, stuff to light and make you see that, you know, I don't really like partnerships, but you might be a perfect setup to bring a partner and then you guys can grow together and be really happy and successful and getting around other entrepreneurs will help you see that when you see all these different scenarios. But if you think like having a million dollar business is going to make you happy, a lot of people have million dollar businesses are, are up all night fighting with their spouses and they're freaking out and they're in the hospital for panic attacks and they can barely make payroll. And you like, you look at all the shiny shit on the outside and you have no idea that on the inside, the business is pure chaos and they're, surviving on a shoestring on the edge of nervous breakdown. Maybe they want to quit and they're holding the thing together for the sake of the employees. Like you, you don't know what's going on. So we start idealizing shit and idealizing is not a very healthy thing to do. Go back to your earlier point about 
you know, just kind of taking a break and stepping back from your business or whatever. I can definitely say that that's true for like myself. I'll just dive, 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 go, go, go. And then I'll sit on the couch for like five minutes just to chill out. And I feel guilty about that. Like, man, I should be doing something. I should be doing something. My wife's like, just relax. Just sit back. And I like, I can't sit back and watch a Netflix movie or whatever, you know, I, I, but I have to. And then, like you said, once you do that, to me, it just like, it's kind of like an aha moment and everything kind of clears up because you can see clear now because you're so focused and thinking about all these different things. And but once you give your mind a break, it's kind of like, oh, I didn't see, think about this or I didn't think about that. And then you can go do what you got to do. So I think that's very wise advice there just to kind of step back and, and chill out a little bit. Give your mind some clarity. <laughs> I agree. And Joe Rogan said something one time that was fascinating. He's, he's a really good bottom line thinker. He said, if I sit down and relax and I don't feel that I've earned it and I'm just being lazy, he goes, it's torture. But if I have worked my ass off and I achieved something great and, you know, I really put in all the work and now it, I finished and then I sit down and relax, it's bliss. Mm-hmm. So we set up these uh, hurdles in our mind of what must be achieved. And, and obviously a lot of us are in a seasonal business. But one thing that I've that's helped me a lot is the date night thing. My wife and I, since 2016, have something like 360 consecutive date nights. I don't know. We, we've only missed a handful of Tuesdays since 2016. And every Tuesday night, no matter what, we go out to dinner. We'll pop popcorn and watch Netflix. We're at the dinner table every single night between 6 and 7 p.m. Uh, together eating dinner face-to-face. I've also learned if I don't put my wife first, or if I don't put God first, my life's a living hell. If I don't put my wife, my God, then my wife, my life's a living hell. If I don't put God, <laughs> then my wife, then, you know, like my family and my business. Because I used to try to put all the, like I, that, that used to piss me off so bad. I'm like, it's impossible. And then when you end up like, like I said, being dangled over the crocodile pit, you learn, oh my God, I can't do this without God. So we just had our 10 year wedding, wedding anniversary last week. And Congrats. this morning I woke up, uh, this is a little, not too graphic. I woke up and I'm, I was in my underwear and I get up and I go to get dressed and my wife's waking up and she stretches and yawns and I'm standing over the bed and I go, you were so fucking hot. And I just jumped on her and started kissing her and she smiled so big. And it was like this exciting, passionate moment that would have happened like the first year of being married. And I think about stuff like that. David Data has a book called The Way of the Superior Man. And so your relationship to the feminine is your relationship to the universe, your relationship to the feminine and with your woman at home and what's going on in, inside and in your relationships is what's going on in your business. It's a mirror image. It's like soaking wet or bone dry or everything is great and sunny and shiny or going to hell in a handbasket. So when you're fighting with your spouse and, and you're not happy, you're probably going to be miserable at work and miserable all the way around. It's like this famous guy named Dan Kennedy. He's a great marketer. He talks about how people question him whether he's a sociopath because he's so (laughs) successful. And he talks about his ability to be successful is directly proportional to his skill to compartmentalize his life. So there was a time he said he was going through some like some bankruptcy or some, I don't think it was a bankrupt, but something bad was happening financially uh, at one point, yeah, he had to go and speak in front of like 300 people and do this seminar. So the car got repoed and he was all pissed off about it. And the second he walked in the door to the seminar, he literally put that thing in a box and locked it and closed it away. And then he did the seminar. And when he was done with that, he's at home like with his wife. He was like, he's his like his ability to compartmentalize his brain and his emotions. Like imagine if you don't bring your problems to work or at least you don't share them with your employees or your clients 
how do you do that? If you're a very emotional or empathic person, you would feel like almost like sinful or guilty or like a criminal mind to not wear your emotions on your sleeve. Like how do you be so stoic and go out into your business into the world? And if you got an employee that starts complaining about their personal life, we don't do that. That's We don't do that. Like even with your body language to say that, I used to do that in the first couple of years of my business. I was such a wreck that my mouth was attached to my heart and I was would talk about everything. And then it's like, I realized if I was talking like that around my employees, then my employees would start talking about, now work became a place where we're crying about our problems. And then I realized it's all my fault and I'm the one paying for all this. <laughs> so I think about stuff like that and I'm realizing that I really aspire to people that can figure that, men that can figure that stuff out at a much younger age and be that mature because it's really it comes down to one word. It's maturity. And I think about uh, there's a saying, you'll have all those things when those things no longer matter. A day will come where you're going to wake up in the beautiful home. You're going to have the business. You're going to have the family. You're going to have the nice trucks that you want, the money in the bank. You're going to have all the things. And when you finally have all that shit, for some reason, you're not going to give a shit about it and you're not going to care like you once did. It's this weird chilling uh, double-edged sword of life. And I think it all comes with maturity. I would agree with that. And maturity and age, I think, is that happens. The other thing, going back to like your story about, you know, you and your wife going on a date, which I applaud you. That's awesome that you guys do that. I think there's a lot of landscapers out there and I can attest to this where I used to be like, I'm doing this all for you, you and the kids, you know, I'm trying to just work, work, work. And you get stuck just doing that work and you're not taking care of them mentally. You may be taking care of them monetarily and helping them out. You know, they can buy the groceries and stuff, but you're not there for your wife, which you got married to her for, you know, it's one of those things I see a lot of landscapers. I'm sure you do too, that just get stuck, work, 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 and kind of neglect the family side of things. And it's, you can't do that. It's otherwise you you'll end up divorced and <laughs> on your own. Like what you're saying right now is a literal fact. It's the truth. And some guys that are in a reactive state, like here's a, a victim thought that I have. I still struggle with the victim mindset. I've come a long way, but here's a victim mindset. Okay, so I used to park all my stuff at a storage yard and literally it got everything got broken into. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to park it in my driveway at my house and use this as our home base. So I literally run the business out of my driveway. And my wife looked out the window and she's making coffee and something about the landscape trailer sitting in the driveway made her feel anxious. And I could totally get that. You're in your home and there's this big ass landscape trailer with logos all over it. It's always there. And she said something about it. And in my brain, she was just expressing how she felt in that moment. It came out of her mouth. I instantly got triggered in total victim mindset. I grabbed my phone and I started looking for shop space to lease. I'm like, fuck, 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 6,500 a month for a fucking shop, 4,500. And it's 30 minutes away. Fuck, I'm trying my fucking hardest. Oh my God, I'm inconveniencing my wife. Ah." And I went into this like thing inside where I was emotionally like imploding on myself and my body was pumping cortisol and my kidneys were hurting. And I felt like I would do anything to make this woman happy. I have to get a big house and a shop and everything perfect, perfect, perfect. And if she says anything that she wants, I know I sound like a little bitch right now. I'm doing this on purpose because I want other men to hear this. Anything that my wife even speaks that she wants or doesn't like or anything, I'm instantly, to me, that's a command to make that shit happen. And if it's not a materializing fast enough, I fucking, I feel like I'm a piece of shit. So I become a victim and I'm like, I, I have to like spend time with her, do all this and do this and do this and then, so and be at all these family events and fucking become a millionaire. How the fuck am I going to do this? Ah! 
It's like, <laughs> so I don't know. But, but then all of a sudden that's like one polarizing emotion. It's not true. Right. Because mm-hmm. for thousands of years, people have lived in incredible poverty. And then there's people that are filthy, stinking rich that are totally miserable and trapped in the superstition of materialism. But there are people that are also rich that are totally happy. I think that the quality time thing and the presence and the consciousness is where all of the real value is at. And there's studies on this. A woman will be more happy having less materialistic things and being, you know, like lower middle class or broke if she has time, energy, and loving presence from her man. And he's a real man and he's there for her and the children. And rather than having more materialistic shit and being very financially successful, yet having a husband who is an asshole who's never there and he's not present. So this is this is like a fact, right? Yeah. And if you look at somebody who says, no, fuck that, I would rather like just look at their lives and then that'll just paint that picture for you. I say, I think people get stuck in the Instagram thing. They see all the stuff that goes on Instagram and social media and look, oh, they have this, they have this. And I want to do that. I don't want to do that. And they get stuck in that. I think it's, you need to take it down a notch really and, and look at what your life's about and what you can provide for your wife and the time. The other thing I'd say is communication with your spouse. Like to me, that's huge and you have to learn to communicate. And I wish they actually would teach this more in schools and, and colleges, how to communicate, even like even communicating with your customers and all this stuff. We don't, most of us aren't, I mean, you know how to talk, but are you speaking correctly and saying things the best way? I don't think they teach it well enough in schools. I, it's so important to, to expressing everything with your wife. I like to make these podcasts as if though, like if my wife were to listen to them, she might not articulate what I'm saying here. So what I mean is I would never want to say anything behind my spouse's back. You're supposed to protect your marriage and stuff like that. But there was a, uh, like a season where I was making more money than I've ever made in my life. And it was like a spike in income. And I was so excited. I was dreaming and I was going on Zillow, looking at million dollar houses and looking at all the things that I dreamed of and look at, like I always dreamed of having a Range Rover and a Tesla and I want a F450 diesel truck <laughs> and I want all this shit, dude. I want everything. And I, I'm looking at it and I was sending some pictures on Zillow to my wife of like, you know, these beautiful homes that are like insane. And so now everybody thinks that we're moving into this big ass house. Like <laughs> you guys are looking at houses. Oh my god, the Kelphises are moving. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm fucking <laughs> asshole. So it's like, and then then all of a sudden that went away, and I got came back down to reality. Like the fucking the weather balloon came back down, and I was like, all right, fuck that. I'm gonna fucking put more money to retirement, buy some gold and silver, look at things practically and logically. And then what do you know? The the economy's tight. Everybody's assholes puckered and people aren't spending <laughs> as much money right now. And our average job ticket went down. And I was like, oh, I'm glad I didn't get that house. So, but I think about it. Well, like when you share stuff like that with people, they think you're going to do that. One thing that pisses me off is you walk into a car dealership. You can't even just walk into the dealership and look around and dream. They want you to buy that shit right now. You can't look at houses. The realtor's trying to grab you and get into your wallet and say, what do you mean? Well, you're not allowed to look at houses unless you're ready to buy it now. Well, how do I know if I want it or not if I can't test drive it or check it out? Or like I like to do a lot of research and build a dream and look at it and have a dream board. And then one day I will actually get that shit. But this constant fucking feeling of pressure from society and people that's compressing you saying you need to have all this shit now, 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 now. You need It's all over social media. It's all the time. It, whatever, wherever you're at isn't fucking good enough. You need to be here. You need this. You need this skill, this tool, this software, this, 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 this. And it's like, 
I, I started writing a poem on to make this a motivational YouTube video about how uh, I feel like men in general, if you have testicles, there's something going on. I don't know if it's like the new world order or something like I feel like men in general or masculinity is under attack. And I believe that there are a lot of good men and a lot of good men that can become a, a very successful entrepreneurs and make the world a better place. But there's something attacking our self-esteem and our confidence every single day and pushing it down and sequestering the real inspiration from us and pulling it away. And I can't put my finger on what it is, but I think it's a spiritual battle. There's spiritual warfare happening and I can feel it in my bones and I disagree with it. And I think that's mainly what we're up against right now to zoom out and look at the big picture from the 40,000 foot view. And I think when we can put our finger on that and grow spiritually, we can overcome all the bullshit that I'm talking about. Hey guys, we had such an amazing time talking to Keith today. We actually decided we're gonna have to split this up a little bit. So definitely stick around for part two. And we're going to continue our conversation and talk about mindset and some of the things that Keith went through in his life. So I encourage you to stick around for next week's episode. Hey, everyone. Just want to thank you again for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do ask you for one quick favor. Could you please head over to iTunes and leave us a review? A five-star review is even better, but it helps us get our rankings up and help us spread our message. 